So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Sacred Space 102 FM, which is a common sea inspiration production being produced here in our common sea studio here in Ada. And this, the actually the 10th of January, is the feast of the baptism of the Lord. My name is Jan Keeley, and help me to present the programming in this morning. Shane Elbrose, good morning, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? We're good, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for joining us on this lovely feast. And of course, we're getting back after the Christmas period now, back into, I wouldn't say normal times, but, but just gradually getting back into something um, as it maybe was just before Christmas. Especially we want to welcome those listeners who are housebound and lonely as usual. We don't just say that, we mean that, because I know them, I know of them, and I know they contact me uh, through, through our, our um, text line and email. Uh, just tell how much they enjoy the programme and thanking us for their programme and please keep us in prayer. You're certainly ours and thank you indeed for supporting us. This programme, as people would know at this stage, is broadcast on West Limit 102 local radio at 10am and 11pm each Sunday. Of course, the 10am 10 10 session includes a broadcasting at Mass from Abbeyfield Parish in County Limerick. 11pm programme is our usual sacred space programme. If you want to, if you want to hear actually any of the playbacks, anything that we would have produced over the years, you can go to Common Sea Inspirations at Buzzsprout.com. Really, if you just Google Common Sea Inspirations, you'll find us there. You can actually go back and some older ones on a Sacred Space blog, the Sacred Space One Hundred Two Blogspot.com. If people have any problem with that, just give me a shout, and I will see what we can do to, to to help you out. Because I know some of their links might be brilliant on those over the years, but we do have available um, programs going back and recordings going back to 2009 that's a long time ago Shane well, I'll tell you we're getting the pension soon <laughs> but you can also hear us on Spotify and iTunes as well so again come and see Inspirations just just Google that and you'll find us there um, as usual our, our program doing, does include uh, reflections um, this week Shane is going to share with us a, a reflection on St Francis of course more about that in part two but also he shares with us saints for the week. And then, of course, we read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel. You can contact us uh, by text, and please do continue to do that, and that's 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667. Or email sacredspace102 at gmail.com. That's sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Or text us on 87 now, Shane, at this stage, we'll share some science for the week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So, um, in terms of our liturgical odds and ends for the coming week, uh, as John said, we are today is the baptism of the Lord, the feast of the baptism of the Lord. So, technically, um, what that means is actually today is the last day of the Christmas season. So, uh, t- so today is kind of the day when, if you haven't done it already, you can take down the Christmas decorations and put the crib away for another 12 months. Um, previously, of course, Christmas tide or Christmas season used to actually go up until the Feast of Candlemas, the presentation on the 2nd of February. But that was changed with the reform of the council in 19 and the reform of the calendar in 1969. Uh, so today, uh, so then, of course, with the baptism of the Lord and the end of the Christmas season, we, of course, now are looking at the return to ordinary time. So it is the end of the Christmas season. So we're back into what's called ordinary time. So what if you're watching masses online at the moment, what you, where you'll see that is actually um, very much in the change of vestments. We'll go from the white of Christmas to the 
uh, to the green of ordinary time. So Monday the 11th of January is the feast day of St. Tata. Now this is an interesting one which I just grabbed my eye. Now we don't know a whole lot about St. Tata or Tato depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, but he was a brother of St. Tato and they both founded the monastery sometime around the 8th century in France. So I just thought the name struck me. I just said I'd jump on I'll, I'll throw that one out there and see what people think. Then on Tuesday, the 12th of, of January, we have the feast day of St. Aelred of Rivalo. Um, he is a saint associated very much with Yorkshire and is a saint famous very much for uh, writing on chaste spiritual friendships. So if you were looking for spiritual writing to deal with friendships, uh, this would be one of your guys to go to. He is very much associated with, he is a Cistercian saint. Excuse me. He's a Cistercian saint associated very much with, uh, as I said, uh, Rivello, I think is how it's pronounced. His father, he was the son of a priest during a time when English priests were allowed to marry. So he was born around 1110 at Hexham in England, and his family had the care of the shrine of Hexham. Uh, he was in, he was a member of the household of King David of Scotland, known for his gentle spirituality and his personal austerity. David King David wanted to make him bishop, but Elry had left Scotland and joined the Cistercians. Eventually, became head of the Cistercian monastery, and as superior of that monastery was sister, superior of all the Cistercians in England. And he died in eleven sixty seven, and he was <clears throat> sorry eleven sixty seven. And then on Wednesday, the 13th of January, we have the feast day of St. Hilary of Poitiers. This man died in 367 AD. He was a bishop of Poitiers in France and distinguished himself with his stand against the heresy of Arianism, which, de which denied the divinity of Christ. Um, he was exiled by order of Emperor Constantus, and during that time he wrote many books, and his most famous one that he's known for today, even to the present time, is De Trinitate, which is a study or writing, a theological writing on the Blessed Trinity. The 14th of January is the feast day of if Euphrasis the Martyr. We don't know a whole lot about them, except for the fact that they were a martyr of the, uh, of the the of, from North Africa, martyred around, uh, just give me a second now, John, I lost the date. We, don't, we just know that their date of martyrdom is the 14th of January. They died in North Africa and he was a bishop martyred by Arian or Arian Vandals. Not Vandals, Vandals, V-A-N-D-E-L-S, who were, um, they basically, they were the, the, the people from, from, from Eastern Europe, which caused the fall of the Roman Empire in the Western Roman Empire. Uh, then on Friday, the 15th, of course, in Limerick, is the feast day of St. Ita of Kilidi. And, of course, we have covered St. Ita numerous times on the program. And, of course, we take this opportunity to say hello to our friend, Michael Keating, who um, we haven't had on the program for a while. So, as we know, Ita was born in Waterford of noble and Christian parents, and she decided to enter the religious life. Her father eventually allowed it. She founded a monastery, of course, in Kilidi, which attracted a great variety of young people, and including, of course, some of the great early Irish saints, including St. Brenda the Navigator, and she was known as the foster mother of the saints of Ireland, and she died in 570 AD. Then, on the 16th of September, we have the feast day on the Irish calendar again of St. Fursa, was born in Ireland, became one of the great monastic missionaries abroad. He uh, went first to East Anglia in the UK 
but uh, then he left and sought refuge in France around 644. And he died around 650 at Mesorol and was buried in Peronet, which became a great center of devotion to him. So that's St. Fursa, who died, uh, or sorry, whose feast day, rather, is on the 16th of September. So that's what we have, John, in terms of liturgical odds and ends this week. For those of us praying the Psalter, um, for the week, starting from Monday, we're on week one of the Psalter. Obviously, for the baptism of the Lord, the prayers are proper to the season. So that's it. Thank you very much indeed, Shane. So we should say welcome back again to Ordinary Time. Okay, so at this point of the program, we might go for our spiritual communion prayer. And this, of course, is where we pray for all those who, most of us, all of us nearly, can't receive Jesus sacramentally at Mass this morning in the Holy Communion. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So at this point of the programme, we might go for our first bit of music. Our first bit of music this morning, a bit of tasty music. We haven't actually played it for some time. This one is entitled Laudate Dominum. So come back again and join us in part two, where Shane will help us to reflect on St. Joseph and the reason why. So come back again and join us in part two. Welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space, 102 FM. My name is John Keeley. 
And this morning, uh, Shane is going to give us, um, well, we're really bring us up to date with something that Pope Francis announced there just before Christmas. I think Shane actually mentioned in one of our programs before Christmas. Uh, this is actually the year of St. Joseph. And so Shane is going to explain a little bit more to us about what, that, what, what that's all about and what it entails and so on and so forth. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. Um, so we had mentioned it on last week's program, and we'd also mentioned it in one of the Christmas programs as well. So for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which is the 8th of December, Pope Francis made an announcement which kind of caught everyone on the hop. We weren't quite expecting anything like it. And it was kind of a bit small, a bit low-key as well. So what he's done is he has proclaimed what's called a year of St. Joseph. Now, you know, we've had these over the, with the last couple of years. You might remember we had the year for vocations, we had the year for the clergy, we had the year of faith, we had the Jubilee of Mercy, um, the year of St. Paul, all over the last couple of years, the year of the Eucharist. And the idea being that there's a particular focus um, given um, for people to reflect on and to think about and to pray about and, and so on and so forth. Um, now, it depends. Some of the years obviously get more of attraction with the public than others. Um, and, you know, but generally the, this one, we'll have to see how it goes. But basically, um, Pope Francis published a letter, an apostolic letter called Patris Corde, which means with a father's heart. And it was published to time around with the, um, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And what it is, is that he is declaring, it, it, it recalls the 150th anniversary of the Declaration of St. Joseph as patron of the Universal Church. And to mark that occasion, we've, he's declared a year of St. Joseph. So um, it's it's an interesting one because, of course, the, St. Joseph was declared the patron of the church in by Pope Pius IX uh, back in well, 150 years ago, whatever that is, John, 1870-something. And... Um, uh, so it's it's and so the Pope is has given a reflection on this letter, and then as well as that, there has been um, the Apostolic Penitentiary has also issued um, guidance where people can get plenary indulgences during the year. So I suppose first of all, I suppose dealing with kind of why um, the letter has been published, aside from the fact that it's the 150th anniversary, is that the Pope said very much writing against the back drop of course of what's happening with the COVID-19 pandemic around the world and it was an interesting one it was the first part of the letter which struck me very much so and he said you know he has helped the pandemic has helped us to see more clearly the importance of ordinary people who although far from the limelight exercise patience and other and offer hope every day and in this way of course that they resemble saint joseph the man who goes unnoticed a daily discreet and hidden presence um who nevertheless played an, an incomparable role in the history of salvation and of course saint joseph of course has a number of titles that have been given to him he's you know he's patron of the church universal church which we celebrate uh, generally around the 19th of March, which is, of course, his f major feast day. Um, and then, of course, we have also have St. Joseph the Worker, who celebrates his feast day on the 1st of May. Um, then again, he was also called um, Guardian of the Redeemer by John Paul II. That was another title that was given to him as well. And it's just, it, it's an interesting one, of course, because as we all know, St. Joseph is He's a saint that's there. We're all familiar with him, but we don't know a whole lot about him in terms of he is a silent character throughout the Gospels. So in the Gospel of, of Matthew, in the Gospel of Luke, which is where we come across him most often, um, there is no words attributed to St. Joseph. He's the silent 
you know, he's the strong, silent type in the background, John. <laughs> so, um, so then again, I suppose reflecting on it, Pope Francis puts forward a number of of, of uh, reflections or characteristics for us to think about St. Joseph in the next 12 months. And I suppose the first one is, you know, it, and that's what's, that's what's in the letter. So the letter itself, it's only, it's only um, 10 pages. It's not very long. Um, and it's, it's, it's readable enough. Um, and Pope Francis takes us through the different categories of the different headings. So he, he reflects on St. Joseph as the, the beloved father, the tender and loving father, um, he reflects on St. Joseph in his role as an obedient father. Um, he reflects on him uh, as well, looking at him to the, to the idea of him being an accepting father, a creative, courageous father, creatively courageous father, actually, which I thought was an interesting one, and then also a working father. And, it's, it's, uh, and then uh, the final part of it is a father in the shadows. So very much linking back into that idea that you know Saint Joseph is 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 there in the background, but not kind of if you like a star of the show. Um, I might just come in there for a second because thanks a lot indeed for you know for sharing that that uh, that letter with me. But you you just mentioned there where Pope mentions about um, an accepting father, and just one thing that struck me on it, and I might just share it with some of the listeners. Often in life, things happen whose meaning we do not understand. Our first reaction is frequently one of disappointment and rebellion. But Joseph set aside his own ideas in order to accept the course of events, and as mysterious as they seemed, to embrace them, take responsibility for them, and make them part of his own history. Unless we are reconciled with our own history, we will be unable to take a single step forward. We'll always remain hostage to our expectations and disappointments. And he just finishing off in this this particular section. Joseph is certainly not passively resigned, but courageously and firmly proactive in our in our lives. Acceptance and welcome can be an acceptance an expression of the Holy Spirit's gift of fortitude. Only the Lord can give us the strength needed to accept life as it is, with all its contradictions, frustrations, and disappointments. And I think. That kind of spoke to me, Shane, because I, I think we're all in that boat from time to time, and Joseph was certainly in it. I mean, Joseph had his problems, right? And, and, and Joseph couldn't see into the future. But Joseph was some strong father or accepting father or accepting terms of faith to accept all this stuff, having to go to Bethlehem and, and, and then having to go off to Egypt and then all this sort of stuff. I know he's a quiet man. He's always been portrayed as a quiet man, you know, and very little is spoken about him in the Gospels. But I think, after saying that, he probably has an awful lot to teach us. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, I, I, I would, I would say that, and it's something that Pope Francis draws out very much in in the letter as well. Um, I suppose it's it's one that he says, you know, Joseph's spiritual path is not one that explains but accepts. Uh, but it's not, you know, that he just just is a doormat that's died there. He, he's courageously and firmly proactive, mm. is how Pope Francis describes it. And of course, Pope Francis has a a very strong devotion to St. Joseph. And I don't know if people might remember back when he was elected Pope, there was quite a bit made about the fact that one of his uh, one of his things he has done for many years as a priest is that if he has a problem, he has a statue of sleeping St. Joseph, he calls it. And he puts, if he has an intention or he has a worry, he writes it on a piece of paper and he puts it under St. Joseph's sleeping head and asks St. Joseph to look after it, which I thought was a, you know, a lovely kind of familial 
um, relationship with the great saint. And as you said, John, you know, the whole thing of accepting um, the, 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 the past as, as, as it's put out, it's, you know, as you say, it's accepting life with all its contradictions and frustrations and, and I suppose their disappointments as well. And it echoes that sentence, you know, do not be afraid. Um, you know, because and it's it's you know it's it's that whole idea of, as well. He encourages us to accept and welcome others, welcoming others as they are, um, without exception, and also to show special concern, I suppose, for the weak. Um, it also, I suppose, links in very much with courage, and you know, I suppose it's not something maybe necessarily we would think about directly with Saint Joseph. Um, but I suppose it's it how we deal with difficulties in life. And I suppose very appropriate to the time that we're in at the moment, I suppose, in just how we face things down. It's not easy to do. There's no two ways around it. Our resilience, our levels of being able to cope are very much drained as we're heading into kind of the current situation that we have. I suppose even now more than ever, maybe to be an example, to look and ask St. Joseph for help. Um, you know, because he had to deal with very concrete problems that his family faced uh, and that other families are facing, you know. Um, and in particular, Pope Francis draws particular attention to the fact that the Holy Family was war refugees. And I think it's something for us that we need to think about a little bit, um, actually, particularly, you know, particularly in Ireland. There's a lot of conversation around the whole thing of refugees and our roles and responsibilities to take in people needing assistance. And um, I suppose one thing to think about in relation to that is that, um, you know, around the world, there are there are millions of people who have been, been displaced from their homes. And from a purely humanitarian perspective, forget about it from the point of view of religion or moral response, from that point, moral, religious moral responsibility. As human beings, we have a responsibility to our fellow human beings to look after them and to make sure that they're, 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 they're cared for. But I suppose Pope Francis puts St. Joseph out there as a patron of all those forced to leave their native lands because of war, hatred, persecution and poverty. And, you know, because he's, he's, he's very much that example. The Holy Family had to flee the Holy Land and, and flee to Egypt for many years until such time as Herod was dead. And it's something we don't think about very much, I suppose. And there was a couple of interesting um, pictures online over the Christmas depicting, um, there was two There was two in particular that, that struck me. One was a modern depiction of a refugee family and it was very evident. It was a young man looking after his, his wife, his partner, and she was obviously pregnant. And you were thinking to yourself, put a donkey under it and it's, you know, it's it's the Holy Family. Uh, but obviously it was jarring because it was pictured in a modern urban setting. And then the other one was, it's a very ancient fresco. It's a, it's a Renaissance fresco that shows Joseph leading Mary and Jesus on the donkey towards Egypt. It's called The Flight into Egypt. It's a very renowned Renaissance painting. And in the background, someone had superimposed in the silhouettes of refugees fleeing their homes. And it was very powerful and very challenging to us. And it's an interesting one because it links into the whole idea as well of St. Joseph as guardian, you know, um, because that, that obviously he was guardian of Mary, guardian of Jesus, as, uh, you know, and looking after them. And also very much because of the fact that he looked after Jesus and he looks after, now he looks after us as the church because he looks after us was the church is the body of Christ. Um, 
you know, and he looks after those that are most in need. So it's kind of reminded us that every poor, needy, suffering or person that's dying, every stranger, every prisoner is a child whom Joseph continues to protect, as Pope Francis puts it. And, you know, we must we must learn to love the church and the poor, um, is, is what Pope Francis says that St. Joseph has to teach us. Um, the other thing about it, of course, is very much, which I found interesting in, in the letter, is very much that Pope Francis dwells on uh, the dignity of work. And it's something, I think, which doesn't, isn't necessarily kind of said often enough, I suppose, is that there is a dignity in working. There's a dignity that we carry as human beings in being able to do work, to earn our keep, to feed ourselves. And it's part of what's called Catholic social teaching or Catholic social doctrine, which is that kind of hidden teaching of the church about how we we should we should, how we should function in society and the dignity of work was very much kind of dealt with by Roverum Novarum, which was a, a letter publi- published by a uh, written by Pope Leo the Thirteenth. So we're going back to kind of to the 1890s when you know at that time there was the whole exploitation of workers during the Industrial Revolution, and Pope Pope Leo the Thirteenth, you know, picked out this whole idea that. There is a dignity to work that we need to recognize and that people should be able to value, um, you know, the value and the dignity and the joy of what it means to eat bread, which is the fruit of one's own labor. But, of course, from the other side of that, then it comes, you know, the issue of unemployment and particularly at the current time. Um, where there are so many people who have, are out of work, are on restricted payments, are on restricted hours, um, and you know, in Ireland, but across many countries as well. And there's a renewed, renewed need, I suppose, to appreciate the importance of dignified work, of which St. Joseph is given as a patron. And I suppose, you know, we often talk about um, patron saints, John, when we do the liturgy, when we do the liturgical odds and ends. And I suppose, you know, for people out there that are kind of looking for a patron, particularly in challenging situations relating to work, have a word with St. Joseph. He might be the man you need to talk to, you know, because, of course, St. Joseph in tradition has him as a carpenter. Um, but technically, if you look at the Greek word for the, for the job that he is, it's actually a craftsperson. So we're not quite sure if he was a carpenter or he could have been someone mm-hmm. that worked in stone, but he was a person of skill with skills. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's generally the tradition we have of St. Joseph. And, of course, the corresponding side of that is in the world of the time, if Jesus was being brought up as his son, Jesus would have learned his father's trade. So we know that, you know, before he went out to do his public ministry for the first 30 years of his life, Jesus was a carpenter or he was a tradesman following in probably in Joseph's steps. He wasn't exactly sitting around playing his Nintendo. No, um, you know, no. that's that's not how it worked no. in, in, in the Palestine of the time. <laughs> and the interesting thing about it is just in terms of work, Pope Francis says or he reminds us that you know, work is a means of participating in the work of salvation. You know, develop our talents and our abilities and to put them at the service of society. And, um, you know, and those who, those who work, Pope Francis says, are cooperating with God himself and in some way become creators of the world around us. I suppose if you go back to the book of Genesis and we look to the very beginning when, you know, the, the, the story of Genesis tells us about the creation of the universe and that humanity is there as as helpers with god in the garden they are there and the whole kind of message behind that is very much a reminder to us that we are co-creators with god it's one of the gifts that he has given us that we assist him in the creation working in creation and creating 
um, to it. And but that also brings us challenges, as we've learned, as as Pope Francis has highlighted in his encyclical Laudato Si, in terms of our responsibilities to the environment and to the planet and to the world around us. But getting back, I suppose, to, to, to the reflection on St. Joseph, Pope Francis encourages everyone to rediscover the value, the importance and the necessity of work. It's not something that you hear very often. The value, the importance and the necessity of work for bringing about a new normal from which no one is excluded. And of course, that very much ties in with his recent letter, Fratelli Tutti, talking about kind of the need for community cooperation and fraternity uh, among all among people and among societies. And, you know, he, Pope Francis asks people to review our priorities and to express our firm conviction that no young person, no person at all, no family should be without work. Um, then another interesting one, of course, is very much the idea of St. Joseph as the father in the shadows. Now, it depends, I suppose. It, to me, I suppose when I first read it, I was kind of going, mm, where's the Pope going with this one? I wasn't quite sure. But what he was doing was he was tying it into a book that he'd, re- he'd read by a Polish writer called Jan Dobryskinski, I think is how you pronounce the man's name. And it's, it's an interesting one. He said, Pope Francis makes the point, fathers are not born, but made. A man does not become a father simply by bringing a child into the world, but by taking up the responsibility to care for that child. And I think, you know, it's an important point that needs to be made, I think, I suppose. And the Pope Francis makes it himself. Unfortunately, in today's society, children often seem orphans lacking fathers, and not just fathers, but um, who are able to introduce them to life and reality. Children, the Pope says, need fathers who will not try to dominate them, but instead raise them to be capable of deciding for themselves, enjoying freedom and exploring new possibilities. And it was an interesting one, actually. He does a bit of, he does a small bit of reflection on that in terms of, you know, to 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 let the child, a true father knows they've done a job when the child no longer needs them. Um, you know, and it's it's uh, he says, you know, Saint Joseph is described as the most chaste father, which is the opposite of domineering and possessiveness. And um, he never made himself the centre of things. He did not think of himself, but was focused on the lives of Mary and Joseph. And he makes the point that only when, you know, a possessive love ultimately becomes dangerous. It imprisons, it constricts, and it makes for misery. And many people, I suppose, or some people would have had that experience of, of, of it as well. But he reminds us that God himself loved humanity. He let us free even to go astray and set ourselves against him. And the logic of love is always the logic of freedom. And Joseph knew how to love with extraordinary freedom, which I thought was a, for me, it was kind of one of the standout paragraphs in the whole letter in terms of you could reflect on that section for quite a number, quite a while and and to think and reflect on it. Then as well as that, I suppose the Pope reminds us, I suppose, that, you know, um, a father realizes that he's most a father and an educator at the point where he becomes useless when he sees that his child has become independent and can walk the paths of life unaccompanied. Um, Being a father, the Pope emphasizes, has nothing to do with possession, but rather as a sign pointing to a greater fatherhood, of course, and links it back, of course, to the fatherhood of our Heavenly Father in in heaven. And then at the end, he gives us, um, you know, a a particular prayer to St. Joseph, uh, which he recommends for the year in which we might pray at the end of the reflection. Mm-hmm. But in addition, I suppose, to that, um, I suppose a couple of other things, you know, um, that the Pope 
uh, as, as just to, to, to confirm, I suppose, for people, is the year that's dedicated to St. Joseph, right? It began on December the 8th, and it concludes next year on December the 8th. And as I said, that marks the 150th anniversary of the declaration of St. Joseph as the patron of the Universal Church by, by Pius the Ninth in 1870. Um, it's, it's an interesting one as well. It's, uh, as I said, and for me, I suppose the, the other, as I said at the start, the key thing was that whole idea of the pandemic has forced us to recognize the ordinary people that do the ordinary things throughout life that make it easier for everybody else. And finally, I suppose just to pass out, I, there's various different um, things that have been done, I suppose, to to uh, fit it in um, for for uh, for our suggestions for what people can do during the year, John. And just I'll just give a couple of couple of these. Um, so, the, uh, and this is also where plenary indulgences have been granted for people that do this. So, if you meditate for at least thirty minutes on the Lord's Prayer or take part in a spiritual retreat with one day that includes meditation on St. Joseph. Um, for those who perform a spiritual or corporal works of mercy, following the example of St. Joseph, the recitation of the Holy Rosary in families, or particularly among engaged couples, is what the Pope has, has kind of focused on as another way of kind of thinking about it. Everyone who entrusts their daily activity to the protection of St. Joseph, um, and then also for those who recite the litany of Saint Joseph, um, or uh, the, 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 the the indulgence is available. And for the sick, um, the Pope has made the point that if they, um, you know, obviously for those who are unable to leave their homes for whatever reason, if they can, if they are able to complete the requirements, which is communion, confession, and a prayer for the Pope intention as soon as possible, they can also benefit from the indulgences. Uh, so that's kind of it, John, in terms of the year of St. Joseph. And also just to flag to people to keep an eye on Knock, um, because the Shrine at Knock is obviously is planning to do something for the year of St. Joseph. Obviously, of course, very much keeping in mind the connection St. Joseph has with Knock, as he was one of those that appeared with Our Lady at the Shrine at during the apparition. Shane, thank you so much indeed for sharing that information with us, uh, bringing it to our attention. And maybe just to finish off this section, as Shane suggested, we might just pray this prayer that, um, that Pope Francis left us. Hail, guardian of the Redeemer, spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, to you God entrusted his Holy Son. In you Mary placed her trust. With you Christ became man. Blessed Saint Joseph, to us too show yourself a father and guide us in the path of life. Obtain for us grace, mercy and courage, and, it, and defend us from every evil. Amen. So now we're going with our, with our second piece of music this morning. And this one, it's one of my favourites actually. It helps us to maybe finish off the Christmas season too. It's by Dr. Ralph Wilson, and this one is entitled St. Joseph's Song. So come back and join us in part three, where we read and reflect on the Word of God, Sunday Gospel.
He's not my own, not of my flesh, not of my bone. Still, Father, let this baby be the son of my love. Father, show. And when he cries, the sun just seems to disappear. And when he laughs, it shines again. How could it be? Father, show. Welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space 102 FM, uh, Come and See Inspirations production from uh, Come and See Inspirations studio here in Ardicum to Limerick. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane, and of course, thanks again, Shane, for sharing that information for us on St. Joseph. And I'm going to forget if I don't ask it now. Tell me again what the Pope does every night with a statue of St. Joseph before he goes well, to I'm not saying I'm not saying he does it every night, okay. John, but he has a tradition where if he has a prayer or a worry, he has a, he has a, he has a statue of St. Joseph where St. Joseph is sleeping. And, of course, it links very much into the scriptural thing where um, Jesus was contacted in his dream, or where Joseph, rather, was uh, communicated to in his in his dreams, like about you know he he dreamt about taking the family holy family to 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 Egypt and so on and so forth. So the Pope has a thing where he has a sleeping Saint Joseph, and if he has a worry or an in prayer intention, he writes it on a bit of paper and he puts it under Saint Joseph's head. The statue of Saint Joseph will be in good, high supply now. High demand, <laughs> should I say? Thanks, Saint Joseph. Statue of sleeping Saint Joseph. Yeah. Okay, now at this part of the program, we we'll read and reflect on the Word of God, and before that. There's a prayer we always pray, and Shane's going to share that with us this morning. Thanks, Shane. 
Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes close nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, the baptism of the Lord, is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 7 to 11. In the course of his preaching, John the Baptist said, Someone is following me, someone who is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to kneel down and undo the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It was at this time that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. No sooner had he come up out of the water than he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit, like a dove, descending on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. My favour rests with you. That's the Gospel for this week. Uh, Shane, you might share a few thoughts you might have, please, with us this morning. Sure. Um... As people know, for this year, we're going to be journeying to the Gospel of St. Mark, and Mark's Gospel is rather brief. Um, none of none of the readings we're going to have during the year from Mark's Gospel are going to be very long. <laughs> uh, it's only 16 chapters of a Gospel. Mm. And as well as that, Mark's Gospel doesn't contain um, a Christmas story. If we, when, if you, if you notice, over the Christmas season, for the gospel that we use for the various masses, it's either taken from the Gospel of Saint Luke or the Gospel of Saint Matthew, and and predominantly Luke, and it's because what happens with with Mark's gospel is it starts straight into this particular episode, which is the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan by Saint John the Baptist, and again, it's an interesting one. Um, it's straight into the action. If you were looking, as I think I said before, if you were looking to make a movie, you'd take St. Mark's Gospel as the script and it would be an action movie. Um, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very much, of course, John the Baptist is baptizing those in the Jordan and, and saying that his baptism is one of repentance and he's, you know, baptizing those with water. And, of course, we have the first indication, of course, of the coming of the Holy Spirit, as John promises that, you know, the, he, the, those that will come, he that will come after him will baptize with the Spirit. And it's, it's and John emphasizes the point, I am not fit to kneel down and undo the strap of his sandal. Of course, very much answering the question out there, because there was that worry that he had that people might think that he was the Messiah. But John, again and again, points us towards the Lord, reminds us that he is only the messenger, he is only the herald. And it's interesting because the baptism of Jesus is recorded in each of the three synoptic Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So obviously it was an event of quite important significance for the early Christian community. And both Mark and Luke, they tell us the story of the baptism from Jesus' perspective. So if you look at Mark's account of the gospel here, the voice speaks, the, the, he, Jesus is the one, he, Jesus, he, Jesus comes up out of the water and he sees the heaven torn apart like, and the spirit like a dove descending on him. And Jesus hears the voice saying, you are my son, my beloved, my favor rests on you. Whereas in, uh, in Matthew's gospel, the voice from heaven speaks to all who are present. 
Um, but it, it's just it's just an interesting perspective that it's in the three Gospels. Um, so it's obviously something of the highest importance, and it's considered an important manifestation of God. Um, and in the, in even, for example, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's a very important. It's it's seen as a theophany, which when you break it down means a manifestation of God, because what we have here is we have an example of the three persons of the Trinity. We have Jesus in the back, coming up out of the river. We have God the Father speaking to him and the image of the Spirit coming down like a dove. And it's um, it's the inauguration of his of his of his public mission, his public uh, public ministry, because literally in the next section of the gospel, uh, he's driven out into the uh, he's driven into the desert, almost pretty much almost straight away after this section, not quite straight away but close to it. Um, and it also marks very much the beginning of the end of the ministry of John the Baptist, um, because um, John is arrested not long after this occurs. And once that happens, Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days. And it's very much so reminding us that um, our baptism, the baptism of Jesus was the start of his public ministry, but it's also the call to us that it's supposed to be our mission as Christians. Um and it re- reminder very much to us of that we are all baptized and we're all called to be evangelizers. And it doesn't mean you go out and stand in a box at the corner of the world and you're, you know, you're, you're telling people that the end of the world is nigh. You know, as St. Teresa of, of, of Lisieux was, uh, would remind us, we do all small things in our own small ways, but we do it really well. And by doing so, then we are doing our best for spreading the example and message and love that we are supposed to preach give example of as Christians um, <laughs> excuse me I suppose it's you know I suppose the question is if you think about what has actually happened you know Jesus presents himself for baptism now you kind of ask yourself the question what is the sinless one doing presenting himself for baptism you know he didn't need to do it so I suppose the reminder to us and one of the things that the doctors or the, not the, doc, the, the saints of the church all down through the centuries have reflected on this particular event. It's very much reflected on the fact that it was done for us, um, you know, that Jesus entered into our condition, our status as sinful creatures. Um, and then I suppose the other side of it is something which we've reflected on, John, a couple of times on the program is what does it mean for us in terms of what happened at our baptism? And one of the things we often say to people um, when we come to reflect on this particular feast day is we often say to people, do you know what day you were baptized? We all know the date of our birth, but do you know what is the date of your baptism? And people say, well, what do I need to know about that for? And I'm not sure if people might remember, but back during the summer, there was um, a bit of controversy in a couple of different places in the United States of America because there had been situations where people had been baptized, but when the sacrament was being done, it wasn't done as the church had asked people to do it. The wording was changed ever so slightly. And so the risk, therefore, was that the, 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 the baptisms that weren't done were not valid. So basically, the people that thought they were baptized were not actually baptized. And there was a couple of situations in a couple of dioceses in America where you had a situation where two or three priests had to be baptized, first communion, confirmation, and reordained as priests because there was a question mark over their baptism. And, you know, we, I suppose there's often a focus on some of the, the sacraments like Eucharist and, and ordination and marriage. Um, but before you can do anything like that, the first thing that we're all we all have 
is our baptism. It's our entryway into the sacramental life. It's our entryway into the church as a community, as a praying community. It is the promise that is given to us as the people of God. And I suppose there's a number of things around it is that, you know, you do you you have to ask our uh, you have to ask ourselves do we fully sometimes appreciate it um and sometimes maybe as adults we don't until for me i suppose one of the, one of the times i did appreciate it was so i was asked to be godfather to one of my one of my nephews and when you're listening to what's actually asked of the parents and the godparents during the christening ceremony you know it kind of brings it home to you i suppose um a small bit and i wasn't kind of uh, john it wasn't um uh, a, a, a Carleone moment like at the Mafia it wasn't quite, you know, the, God, the, the Godfather kind of a situation. But, you know, it was kind of kind of that whole idea. And that we have to kind of think about um, living up to those promises that we make and that we renew every time, you know, every time we renew our baptismal promises, most generally during the Easter, during the Easter vigil. And I suppose as well as that, then, we also, looking at the Sunday's Gospel, I suppose the other question is the idea that God is with us. And in particular, that we are accompanied by by the Spirit. And do we think about that? And what does that mean for us? You know, we're given this gift uh, at baptism, which is renewed and confirmed during confirmation. And so we're asked, we have to ask ourselves, do we really make time and space for the Spirit in our lives? So as we think and reflect on this Sunday's Gospel, I suppose a couple of things just to think about are, do we answer and live up to that call of baptism that each of us is given? Do we value it as the sacrament that was given to us and what it means for each one of us? Do we, are we aware, perhaps, of the divine moments where the Spirit is available to us and we listen to it in our lives and we discern and call upon it to discern what we need to do at times of difficulty. And I suppose finally then, I suppose the other side of it is to remind ourselves that we are all children of God. We were named at our baptism date. And as we as we were named, we were called and so we remind ourselves that that final line in the gospel also, which applied to Jesus, very much also applies to us. You are my child, the beloved. My favor rests on you. And sometimes I suppose we have to remind ourselves of that. We might not think ourselves worthy or appreciate the love that God has for each one of us. And to remind ourselves that you are special. You are a child of God. You are valued by God. You are his beloved, and through the gift of baptism, his favour rests on you. Shane, thank you very much indeed for leading us into that lovely reflection there on this beautiful feast day. Just one, just one, two little thoughts, and really the echo and really what Shane just mentioned there to us. Um, thanks again to Father Frank Dewick, by the way. Father Frank uh, continues to share his thoughts with the Lecture Divina group each week. Just giving us some thoughts to take with us for the week and reading through his reflection this week, just with a few thoughts came to my own mind. I've been, uh, in today's gospel, we hear what John the Baptist says, I, I have baptised you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Most, of all of, most if not all of us who are listening to this broadcast have been baptised. We've been given the Holy Spirit, Shane said, to guide and support us in life's journey. How often do we ask for that support and guidance in our lives? 
If you think about it, we have the support and guidance of God, because the Holy Spirit is the second person of the Blessed Trinity. God the Holy Spirit in particular. So today would be a good time maybe to reconnect with the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospel, the Holy Spirit will lead us to the complete truth. The second point, after reading Father Frank's reflection that came to my mind, was when we were baptised, our parents were asked what name we would be given. Father Frank reminds us from Scripture the words, I have, I have called you by name, you are mine. So therefore, when we were named by our parents, that's, that's part of God's call to us. I've called you, John, Mary, whoever, you're mine. God has called us by our name, and he says to us in, in a beautiful way, you are mine. What a beautiful thought. In answer to Shane's little question that I threw out to everybody, I, I was asked this question, I think, on this program a number of years ago, and I keep making a note of it. Just to let people know, I was baptised around this time of the year. I was baptised actually on the 22nd of January. And that's when God called my name and told me that I was his. So I thank God for this honour. And maybe we can take this thought with us each week. Whenever we were baptised, just thanking God for the honour of being called one of his own. So with that, we might go for a final piece of music. Thank you again, Shane, for for sharing your thoughts with us this morning. Uh, a final piece of music this morning. Shane said it's still Christmas time, so we've got to go out with something Christmassy. He suggested Joy to the World. So I found one, Joy, Joy for the World. I'm not too sure if we played this one before. Joy for the World, it's very vibrant, it's very, it's very, um, very much something that we should maybe play out to finish up the Christmas season. It's played by the Gabriel Trumpet Ensemble and the Mormon Choir. So next week for myself and Shane, thanks again for joining us. Again, Happy New Year to everybody. Please join us again next week where we'll do it all again. God bless for now. Bye. Bye.